Hello folks, and welcome back to the cosy fireside of the Great Library of Dreams. Do come on in. Here, I'll take your coat. As always, there's a seat by the fire, especially for you. Well then, dear friends, come along, sit down. For tonight, we have something a little different and a bit special. Now then, Robert E. Howard is best remembered for his seminal sword and sorcery tales featuring Conan the Barbarian. However, Howard wrote far more than just sword and sorcery yarns. He dabbled in a great many different genres, but one of his personal favourites was the horror genre. Indeed, Howard was a close personal friend of both H.P. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith. As a child, he'd been enthralled by eerie legends and spooky tales told to him by his grandmother, and it was these stories heard by the fireside that would shape one of his most celebrated novellas. The novella I'm going to read for you tonight. It was written in 1934, but it didn't see print until after Howard's death in the pages of Weird Tales in 1938. The tale is called Pigeons from Hell. Now this tale of a haunted ruined mansion in the heart of rural America and the sinister secrets it hides is presented in three parts. And indeed, I thought it would be fun and fitting to present this story also in serial form over the course of three podcasts. Now, parts two and three won't come with a little introduction by myself or the usual opening music. Rather, they'll pick up from where the story left off, so you can play all three shows as one huge audiobook in three parts. So then, dear friends, if you wish to take your seats by the fire and grab yourself a drink, let me recount to you what happened one dark night when two men were out in the countryside looking for shelter. Thank you. 
Pigeons from Hell by Robert E. Howard Part 1 The Whistler in the Dark Briswell awoke suddenly every nerve tingling with a premonition of imminent peril. He stared about wildly, unable at first to remember where he was, or what he was doing there. Moonlight filtered in through the dusty windows, and the great empty room, with its lofty ceiling and gaping black fireplace, was spectral and unfamiliar. Then, as he emerged from the clinging cobwebs of his recent sleep, He remembered where he was, and how he came to be there. He twisted his head and stared at his companion, sleeping on the floor near him. John Branner was but a vaguely bulking shape in the darkness that the moon scarcely greyed. Griswell tried to remember what had awakened him. There was no sound in the house, no sound outside, except the mournful hoot of an owl far away in the piney woods. Now he had captured the elusive memory. It was a dream, a nightmare so filled with dim terror that it had frightened him awake. Recollection flooded back, vividly etching the abominable vision. Or was it a dream? Certainly it must have been, but it had blended so curiously with recent actual events that it was difficult to know where reality left off, and fantasy began. Dreaming, he had seemed to relive his past few waking hours in accurate detail. The dream had begun, abruptly, as he and John Branner came in sight of the house where they now lay. They had come rattling and bouncing over the stumpy, uneven old road that led through the Pinelands. He and John Branner wandering far afield from their New England home, in search of vacation pleasure. They had sighted the old house, with its balustraded galleries, rising amid a wilderness of weeds and bushes, just as the sun was setting behind it. It dominated their fancy, rearing black and stark and gaunt, against the low, lurid rampart of sunset, barred by the black pines. They were tired, sick of bumping and pounding all day over woodland roads. The old deserted house stimulated their imagination with its suggestion of antebellum splendour and ultimate decay. They left the automobile beside the rutty road, and as they went up the winding walk of crumbling bricks, almost lost in the tangle of rank growth, pigeons rose from the balustrades in a fluttering feathery crowd, and swept away with a low thunder of beating wings. The oaken door sagged on broken hinges. Dust lay on the floor in the wide, dim hallway, on the broad steps of the stair that mounted up from the hall. They turned into a door opposite the landing, and entered a large room, empty, dusty, with cobwebs shining thickly in the corners. Dust lay thick over the ashes in the great fireplace. 
they discussed gathering wood and building a fire, but decided against it. As the sun sank, darkness came quickly, the thick, black, absolute darkness of the Pinelands. They knew that rattlesnakes and copperheads haunted southern forests, and they did not care to go groping for firewood in the dark. They ate frugally from tins, then rolled in their blankets, fully clad, before the empty fireplace, and went instantly to sleep. This, in part, was what Griswell had dreamed. He saw again the god house looming stark against the crimson sunset, saw the flight of pigeons as he and Branner came up the shattered walk. He saw the dim room in which they presently lay, and he saw the two forms that were himself and his companion, lying wrapped in their blankets on the dusty floor. Then from that point, his dream altered subtly, passed out of the realm of the commonplace, and became tinged with fear. He was looking into a vague, shadowy chamber, lit by the grey light of the moon, which streamed in from some obscure source. For there was no window in that room, but in the grey light, he saw three silent shapes that hung suspended in a row, and their stillness and their outlines woke chill horror in his soul. There was no sound, no word, but he sensed a presence of fear and lunacy crouching in the dark corner. Abruptly, he was back in the dusty, high-ceilinged room, before the great fireplace. He was lying in his blankets, staring tensely through the dim door and across the shadowy hall, to where a beam of moonlight fell across the balustraded stair, some seven steps up from the landing. And there was something on the stair, a bent, misshapen, shadowy thing that never moved fully into the beam of light. But a dim yellow blur that might have been a face was turned toward him, as if something crouched on the stair regarding him and his companion. Fright crept chilly through his veins, and it was then he awoke, if indeed he had been asleep. He blinked his eyes. The beam of moonlight fell across the stair just as he dreamed it did. But no figure lurked there. Yet his flesh still crawled from the fear the dream or vision had roused in him. His legs felt as if they had been plunged into ice water. He made an involuntary movement to awaken his companion, when a sudden sound paralysed him. It was the sound of whistling on the floor above. Eerie and sweet it rose, not carrying any tune but piping shrill and melodious. Such a sound in a supposedly deserted house was alarming enough, but it was more than the fear of a physical invader that held Griswell frozen. He could not himself have defined the horror that gripped him. But Branner's blankets rustled, and Griswell saw he was sitting upright. His figure bulked dimly in the soft darkness, the head turned toward the stair, 
as if the man were listening intently. More sweetly and more subtly evil rose that weird whistling. John, whispered Griswell from dry lips. He had meant to shout, to tell Branner that there was somebody upstairs, somebody who could mean them no good, that they must leave this house at once. But his voice died dryly in his throat. Branner had risen. His boots clumped on the floor as he moved toward the door. He stalked leisurely into the hall and made for the lower landing, merging with the shadows that clustered black about the stair. Griswell lay incapable of movement, his mind a whirl of bewilderment. Who was that whistling upstairs? Why was Branner going up those stairs? Griswell saw him past the spot where the moonlight rested, saw his head tilted back, as if he were looking at something Griswell could not see, above and beyond the stair. But his face was like that of a sleepwalker. He moved across the bar of moonlight and vanished from Griswell's view, even as the latter tried to shout to him to come back. A ghastly whisper was the only result of his effort. The whistling sank to a lower note, died out. Griswell heard the stairs creaking under Banner's measured tread. Now he had reached the hallway above, for Griswell heard the clump of his feet moving along it. Suddenly the footfalls halted, and the whole night seemed to hold its breath. Then an awful scream split the stillness, and Griswell started up, echoing the cry. The strange paralysis that had held him was broken. He took a step toward the door and checked himself. The footfalls were resumed. Branner was coming back. He was not running. The tread was even more deliberate and measured than before. Now the stairs began to creak again. A groping hand, moving along the balustrade, came into the bar of moonlight. Then another, and a ghastly thrill went through Griswell, as he saw that the other hand gripped a hatchet. A hatchet that dripped blackly. Was that Branner who was coming down that stair? Yes. The figure had moved into the bar of moonlight now, and Griswell recognised it. Then he saw Branner's face, and a shriek burst from Griswell's lips. Branner's face was bloodless, corpse-like. Gouts of blood dripped darkly down it. His eyes were glassy and set, and blood oozed from the great gash which cleft the crown of his head. Griswell never remembered exactly how he got out of that accursed house. Afterward, he retained a mad, confused impression of smashing his way through a dusty, cobwebbed window, of stumbling blindly across the weed-choked lawn, gibbering his frantic horror. He saw the black wall of the pines, and the moon floating in a blood-red mist, in which there was neither sanity nor reason. Some shred of sanity returned to him, 
as he saw the automobile beside the road. In a world gone suddenly mad, that was an object reflecting prosaic reality. But even as he reached for the door, a dry, chilling whir sounded in his ears, and he recoiled from the swaying, undulating shape that arched up from its scaly coils on the driver's seat and hissed sibilantly at him, darting a forked tongue in the moonlight. With a sob of horror, he turned and fled down the road, as a man runs in a nightmare. He ran without purpose or reason. His numbed brain was incapable of conscious thought. He merely obeyed the blind, primitive urge to run, run, run until he fell exhausted. The black walls of the pines flowed endlessly past him, so he was seized with the illusion that he was getting nowhere. But presently, a sound penetrated the fog of his terror, the steady, inexorable patter of feet behind him. Turning his head, he saw something loping after him. Wolf or dog, he could not tell which, but its eyes glowed like balls of green fire. With a gasp, he increased his speed, reeled around a bend in the road, and heard a horse snort, saw it rear, and heard its rider curse, saw the gleam of blue steel in the man's lifted hand. He staggered and fell, catching at the rider's stirrup. For God's sake, help me, he panted. The thing, it killed Branna, it's coming after me, look. Twin balls of fire gleamed in the fringe of bushes at the turn of the road. The rider swore again, and on the heels of his profanity came the smashing report of his six-shooter, again and yet again. The fire sparks vanished, and the rider, jerking his stirrup free from Griswell's grasp, spurred his horse at the bend. Griswell staggered up, shaking in every limb. The rider was out of sight only a moment. Then he came galloping back. Took to the brush. Timberwolf, I reckon. Though I never heard of one chasing a man before. Do you know what it was? Griswell could only shake his head weakly. The rider, etched in moonlight, looked down at him, smoking pistol still lifted in his right hand. He was a compactly built man of medium height and his broad-brimmed planter's hat and boots marked him as a native of the country as definitively as Griswell's garb marked him as a stranger. What's this all about anyway? I don't know, Griswell answered helplessly. My name's Griswell. John Branner, my friend who was travelling with me, we stopped at a deserted house back down the road to spend the night. Something. Something. At the memory, he was choked by a rush of horror. My God, he screamed. I must be mad. Something came and looked over the balustrade of the stair. Something with a yellow face. I thought I dreamed it, but it must have been real. Then someone began whistling upstairs. And Branner rose and went up the stairs, walking like a man in his sleep 
or hypnotised. I heard him scream, or someone screamed. Then he came down the stair again, with a bloody hatchet in his hand. And my God, sir, he was dead. His head had been split open. I saw brains and clotted blood oozing down his face, and his face was that of a dead man. But he came down the stairs. As God is my witness, John Branner was murdered in that dark upper hallway, and then his dead body came stalking down the stairs with a hatchet in its hand to kill me. The rider made no reply. He sat on his horse like a statue, outlined against the stars, and Griswell could not read his expression, his face shadowed by his hat brim. You think I'm mad, he said hopelessly. Perhaps I am. I don't know what to think, answered the rider. If it was any house but the old Blassenville Manor, well, we'll see. My name's Buckner. I'm sheriff of this county. Took a prisoner over to the county seat in the next county and was riding back late. He swung off his horse and stood beside Griswell, shorter than the lanky New Englander, but much harder knit. There was a natural manner of decision and certainty about him, and it was easy to believe that he would be a dangerous man in any sort of fight. Are you afraid to go back to the house? He asked, and Griswell shuddered. But he shook his head, the dogged tenacity of Puritan ancestors asserting itself. The thought of facing that horror turns me sick, but poor Branner! He choked again. We must find his body. My God! He cried, unmanned by the abysmal horror of the thing. What will we find? If a dead man walks, what? We'll see. The sheriff caught the reins in the crook of his left elbow and began filling the empty chambers of his big blue pistol as they walked along. As they made the turn, Griswell's blood was ice at the thought of what they might see lumbering up the road with a bloody grinning death mask. But they saw only the house looming spectrally among the pines down the road. A strong shudder shook Griswell. God, how evil that house looks against those black pines. It looked sinister from the very first. When we went up the broken walk and saw those pigeons fly up from the porch. Pigeons? Bruckner cast him a quick glance. You saw the pigeons? Why, yes, scores of them perching on the porch railing. They strode on for a moment in silence, before Bruckner said abruptly, I've lived in this county all my life. I've passed the old Blassenville place a thousand times, I reckon, at all hours of the day and night. But I never saw a pigeon anywhere around it or anywhere else in these woods. There were scores of them, repeated Griswell, bewildered. I've seen men who swore they'd seen a flock of pigeons 
perched along the bolsters just at sundown, said Buckner slowly. Negroes, all of them, except one man. A tramp. He was building a fire in the yard, aiming to camp there that night. I passed along there about dark, and he told me about the pigeons. I came back there the next morning. The ashes of his fire were there, and his tin cup and skillet where he'd fried pork, and his blankets looked as if they'd been slept in. No one ever saw him again. That was twelve years ago. The blacks say they can see the pigeons, but no black would pass along this road between sundown and sunup. They say the pigeons are the souls of the Blassenvilles, let out of hell at sunset. The Negroes say the red glare in the west is the light from hell, because then the gates of hell are open and the Blassenvilles fly out. Who were the Blassenvilles? asked Griswell, shivering. They owned all the land here, French-English family. Came here from the West Indies before the Louisiana Purchase. The Civil War ruined them, like it did so many. Some were killed in the war. Most of the others died out. No one's lived in the manor since 1890, when Miss Elizabeth Blassenville, the last of the line, fled from the old house one night like it was a plague spot, and never came back to it. This your auto? They halted beside the car, and Griswell stared morbidly at the grim house. Its dusty panes were empty and blank, but they did not seem blind to him. It seemed to him that ghastly eyes were fixed hungrily on him through those darkened panes. Buckner repeated his question. Yes. Be careful. There was a snake on the seat. Or there was. Not there now, grunted Buckner, tying his horse and pulling an electric torch out of the saddlebag. Well, let's have a look. He strode up the broken brick walk as matter-of-factly as if he were paying a social call on friends. Griswell followed close at his heels, his heart pounding suffocatingly. A scent of decay and mouldering vegetation blew on the faint wind, and Griswell grew faint with nausea that rose from a frantic abhorrence of these black woods, these ancient plantation houses that hid forgotten secrets of slavery and bloody pride and mysterious intrigues. He had thought of the South as a sunny, lazy land, washed by soft breezes, laden with spice and warm blossoms, where life rang tranquilly to the rhythm of black folks singing in sunbathed cotton fields. But now he had discovered another unsuspected side, a dark, brooding, fear-haunted side, and the discovery repelled him. The oaken door sagged as it had before. The blackness of the interior was intensified by the beam of Buckner's light playing on the sill. That beam sliced through the darkness of the hallway and roved up the stair, and Griswell held his breath, clenching his fists. But no shape of lunacy leered down at them. 
Buckner went in, walking as light as a cat, torch in one hand, gun in the other. As he swung his light into the room across from the stairway, Griswell cried out, and cried out again, almost fainting with the intolerable sickness at what he saw. A trail of blood drops led across the floor, crossing the blankets Branner had occupied, which lay between the door and those in which Griswell had lain, and Griswell's blankets had a terrible occupant. John Branner lay there, face down, his cleft head revealed in merciless clarity in the steady light. His outstretched hand still gripped the haft of a hatchet, and the blade was embedded deep in the blanket and the floor beneath, just where Griswold's head had lain when he slept there. A momentary rush of blackness engulfed Griswell. He was not aware that he staggered, or that Buckner caught him. When he could see and hear again, he was violently sick and hung his head against the mantel, retching miserably. Buckner had turned the full light on him, making him blink. Buckner's voice came from behind the blinding radiance, the man himself unseen. Griswell, you've told me a yarn that's hard to believe. I saw something chasing you, but it might have been a timber wolf or a mad dog. If you're holding back anything, you'd better spill it. What you told me won't hold up in any court. You're bound to be accused of killing your partner. I'll have to arrest you. If you give me the straight goods now, it'll make it easier. Now, didn't you kill this fellow Branner? Wasn't it something like this? You quarreled. He grabbed a hatchet and swung at you. But you dodged and then let him have it. Griswell sank down and hid his face in his hands, his head swimming. Great God, man, I didn't murder John. Why, we've been friends ever since we were children in school together. I told you the truth. I don't blame you for not believing me, but God help me, it is the truth. The light swung back to the gory head again, and Griswell closed his eyes. He heard Buckner grunt. I believe this hatchet in his hand is the one he was killed with. Blood and brains plastered on the blade. The hair's sticking to it. Hair's exactly the same color as his. This makes it tough for you, Griswell. How so? The New Englander asked dully. Knocks any plea of self-defense in the head. Branner couldn't have swung at you with this hatchet after you split his skull with it. You must have pulled the axe out of his head, stuck it in the floor, and clamped his fingers on it to make it look like he'd attacked you. And that would have been damned clever if you'd used another hatchet. But I didn't kill him, groaned Griswell. I have no intention of pleading self-defense. That's what puzzles me, Bruckner admitted frankly, straightening. What murderer would rig up such a crazy story as you've told me to prove his innocence? Average killer would have told a logical yarn at least. Hmm, 
blood drops leading from the door. The body was dragged. No, it couldn't have been dragged. The floor isn't smeared. You must have carried it here after killing him in some other place. But in that case, why isn't there any blood on your clothes? Of course, you could have changed clothes and washed your hands. But this fellow hasn't been dead long. He walked downstairs and across the room, said Griswell hopelessly. He came to kill me. I knew he was coming to kill me when I saw him lurching down the stair. He struck where I would have been if I hadn't awakened. That window, I burst out of it. You see, it's broken. I see. But if he walked then, why isn't he walking now? I don't know. I'm too sick to think straight. I've been fearing that he'd rise up from the floor where he lies and come at me again. When I heard that wolf running up the road after me, I thought it was John chasing me. John running through the night with his bloody axe and his bloody head and his death grin. His teeth chattered as he lived that horror over again. Buckner let his light play across the floor. The blood drops lead into the hall. Come on, we'll follow them. Griswell cringed. They lead upstairs. Buckner's eyes were fixed hard on him. Are you afraid to go upstairs with me? Griswell's face was grey. Yes, but I'm going, with you or without you. The thing that killed poor John may still be hiding up there. Stay behind me, ordered Buckner. If anything jumps us, I'll take care of it. But for your own sake, I warn you that I shoot quicker than a cat jumps, and I don't often miss. If you got any ideas of laying me out from behind, forget them. Don't be a fool. Resentment got the better of his apprehension, and this outburst seemed to reassure Buckner more than any of his protestations of innocence. I want to be fair, he said quietly. I haven't indicted and condemned you in my mind already. If only half of what you're telling me is the truth, You've been through a hell of an experience, and I don't want to be too hard on you. But you can see how hard it is for me to believe all you've told me. Griswell wearily motioned for him to lead the way, unspeaking. They went out into the hall, paused at the landing. A thin string of crimson drops, distinct in the thick dust, led up the stairs. Man's tracks in the dust, grunted Buckner. Go slow. I've got to be sure of what I see, because we're obliterating them as we go up. Hmm. One set going up, one coming down. Same man. Not your tracks. Branner was a bigger man than you are. Blood drops all the way. Blood on the banisters, like a man had laid his bloody hand there. A smear of stuff that looks... Brains. Now what? He walked down the stair a dead man, shuddered Griswell, groping with one hand, the other gripping the hatchet that killed him. Or was carried, muttered the sheriff. 
But if somebody carried him, where are the tracks? They came out into the upper hallway, a vast empty space of dust and shadows, where time-crusted windows repelled the moonlight, and the ring of Buckner's torch seemed inadequate. Griswell trembled like a leaf. Here, in darkness and horror, John Branner had died. Somebody whistled up here, he muttered. John came, as if he were being called. Buckner's eyes were blazing strangely in the light. The footprints lead down the hall, he muttered. Same as on the stair. One set going, one coming. Same prince. Judas! Behind him, Griswell stifled a cry, for he had seen what prompted Buckner's exclamation. A few feet from the head of the stair, Branner's footsteps stopped abruptly, then returned, treading almost in the other tracks. And where the trail halted, there was a great splash of blood on the dusty floor. And other tracks met it. Tracks of bare feet, narrow but with splayed toes. They too receded in a second line from the spot. Buckner bent over them, swearing. The tracks meet, and where they meet there's blood and brains on the floor. Branner must have been killed on that spot, with a blow from the hatchet. Bare feet coming out of the darkness to meet shod feet, then both turned away again. The shod feet went downstairs, the bare feet went back down the hall. He directed his light down the hall. The footprints faded into darkness, beyond the reach of the beam. On either hand, the closed doors of chambers were cryptic portals of mystery. Suppose your crazy tale was true, Buckner muttered half to himself. These aren't your tracks. They look like a woman's. Suppose someone did whistle, and Branner went upstairs to investigate. Suppose someone met him here in the dark and split his head. The signs and tracks would be, in that case, just as they really are. But if that's so, why isn't Branner lying here where he was killed? Could he have lived long enough to take the hatchet away from whoever killed him and stagger downstairs with it? No. No, recollection gagged Griswell. I saw him on the stair. He was dead. No man could live a minute after receiving such a wound. I believe it, muttered Buckner. But it's madness. Or else it's too clever. Yet what sane man would think up and work out such an elaborate and utterly insane plan to escape punishment for murder? when a simple plea of self-defence would have been so much more effective. No court would recognise that story. Well, let's follow these other tracks. They lead down the hall. Here, what's this? With an icy clutch at his soul, Griswell saw the light was beginning to dim. 
"'This battering is new,' muttered Buckner, and for the first time caught an edge of fear in his voice. "'Come on, out of here quick!' The light had faded to a faint red glow. The darkness seemed straining into them, creeping with black cat feet. Buckner retreated, pushing Griswell stumbling behind him as he walked backward, pistol cocked and lifted down the dark hall. In the growing darkness, Griswell heard what sounded like the stealthy opening of a door, and suddenly the blackness about them was vibrant with menace. Griswell knew Buckner sensed it as well as he, for the sheriff's hard body was tense and taut as a stalking panther's. But without haste, he worked his way back to the stair and backed down it, Griswell preceding him and fighting the panic that urged him to scream and burst into mad flight. A ghastly thought brought icy sweat out on his flesh. Suppose the dead man were creeping up the stair behind them in the dark, face frozen in the death grin, blood-caked hatchet lifted to strike. This possibility so overpowered him that he was scarcely aware when his feet struck the level of the lower hallway, and he was only then aware that the light had grown brighter as they descended, until now it gleamed with its full power. But when Buckner turned it back up the stair, it failed to illuminate the darkness that hung like a tangible fog at the head of the stair. Damn thing was conjured, muttered Buckner. Nothing else. It couldn't act like that naturally. Turn the light into the room, begged Griswell. See if John, if John is... He could not put the ghastly thought into words, but Buckner understood. He swung the beam around, and Griswell had never dreamed that the sight of the gory body of a murdered man could bring such relief. He's still there, grunted Buckner. If he walked after he was killed, he hasn't walked since. But that thing... Again he turned the light up the stair, and stood chewing his lip and scowling. Three times he half-lifted his gun. Griswell read his mind. The sheriff was tempted to plunge back up that stair, take his chance with the unknown, but common sense held him back. I wouldn't have a chance in the dark, he muttered, and I've got a hunch the light would go out again. He turned and faced Griswell squarely. There's no use dodging the question. There's something hellish in this house, and I believe I have an inkling of what it is. I don't believe you killed Branner. Whatever killed him is up there, now. There's a lot about your yarn that don't sound sane. But there's nothing sane about a flashlight going out like this one did. I don't believe that thing upstairs is human. I never met anything I was afraid to tackle in the dark before. But I'm not going up there until daylight. It's not long until dawn. We'll wait for it, out there on that gallery. The stars were already paling when they came out on the broad porch. Buckner seated himself on the balustrade facing the door. 
his pistol dangling in his fingers. Griswell sat down near him and leaned back against a crumbling pillar. He shut his eyes, grateful for the faint breeze that seemed to cool his throbbing brain. He experienced a dull sense of unreality. He was a stranger in a strange land. A land that had become suddenly imbued with black horror. The shadow of the noose hovered above him, and in that dark house lay John Branner with his butchered head. Like the figment of a dream, these facts spun and eddied in his brain, until all merged in a grey twilight as sleep came uninvited to his weary soul. He awoke to a cold white dawn, and full memory of the horrors of the night. Mist curled about the stems of the pines, crawled in smoky wisps up the broken walk. Buckner was shaking him. Wake up, it's daylight. Griswell rose, wincing at the stiffness of his limbs. His face was grey and old. I'm ready. Let's go upstairs. I've already been. Buckner's eyes burned in the early dawn. I didn't wake you up. I went as soon as it was light. I found nothing. The tracks of the bare feet? Gone. Gone? Yes, gone. The dust had been disturbed all over the hall, from the point where Banner's tracks ended, swept into corners. No chance of tracking anything there now. Something obliterated those tracks while we sat here, and I didn't hear a sound. I've gone through the whole house. Not a sign of anything. Griswell shuddered at the thought of himself sleeping alone on the porch while Buckner conducted his exploration. What shall we do? he asked listlessly. With those tracks gone, there goes my only chance of proving my story. We'll take Branner's body into the county seat, answered Buckner. Let me do the talking. If the authorities knew the facts as they appear, they'd insist on you being confined and indicted. I don't believe you killed Branner, but neither a district attorney, judge, nor jury will believe what you've told me, or what happened to us last night. I'm handling this thing my own way. I'm not going to arrest you until I've exhausted every other possibility. Say nothing about what's happened here when we get to town. I'll simply tell the district attorney that John Branner was killed by a party or parties unknown, and that I'm working on the case. Are you game to come back with me to this house and spend the night here, sleeping in that room as you and Branner slept last night? Griswell went white but answered as stoutly as his ancestors might have expressed their determination to hold their cabins in the teeth of the Pequots. I'll do it. Let's go then. Help me pack the body out to your auto. Griswell's soul revolted at the sight of John Branner's bloodless face in the chill white dawn and the feel of his clammy flesh. The grey fog wrapped wispy tentacles about their feet as they carried their grisly burden across the lawn.